Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Events over the past year have shone a light on racial inequality across the globe. Australia is not an exception. This nation's journey towards a more just, equitable and reconciled identity still has a long way to go. With that in mind, and in the spirit of reconciliation, we acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. A global pandemic, climate emergency, the rise of populism. The world is facing unprecedented challenges that demand policy responses that are able to address complex challenges, bridge divides and build pathways to a future likely to look very different from the past or our present. In all of this, public servants have an extraordinary level of responsibility and often wield a great deal of influence. And yet they and their roles are often invisible in the flurry of political and media debate. On this Policy Forum pod, we're delving into the role of the public servant, exploring the context in which public servants operate and the factors that shape their work. My name's Anna Greta Hunter. I'm a cardiologist. I'm the Human Futures Fellow at the Australian National University. Policy Forum pod is produced by policyforum.net. We're part of the Crawford School of Public Policy. The Crawford School is the Asia-Pacific's leading graduate policy school. You can check out our degree programs and short courses at crawford.anu.edu.au slash study. We recorded this conversation just recently with my co-host, Professor Sharon Bessel, who is, of course, an integral part of the Crawford School. We did have some technical issues during the recording, so the audio that follows is not perfect. But what does follow today is a fascinating discussion about the role of the public servant. So for today's discussion, we are delighted to be joined by the editors of a phenomenal piece of work, the Polgrave Handbook of the Public Servant. The handbook is almost 1,800 pages of rich exploration of the nature and scope of public servants in operation in different governmental and country contexts. It's the first of its kind, appearing at a time when public servants are experiencing incredible challenges and when the idea of what it is to be a public servant is increasingly varied. This will be a core text for anyone with a passion for policy and will be of great interest to our pod listeners. And so on today's pod, we have three amazing guests. Helen Sullivan will be well known to many of you. She's a Professor of Public Policy and Dean of the Australian National University's College of Asia and the Pacific. She was previously Director of the Crawford School of Public Policy. Helen's research explores the changing nature of state-society relationships in the context of collaboration, urban politics and public policy and service reform. Helen has a long-term commitment to bridging the gap between research and policy, and in 2016, she was made a National Fellow of the Institute of Public Administration Australia in recognition of her significant contribution to public administration. 
In 2019, Helen was elected to the Executive Board of the International Research Society on Public Management and was elected President of the Australian Political Studies Association for the year 2020-21. to Helen Dickinson is a Professor of Public Service Research and Director of the Public Service Research Group at the School of Business, University of New South Wales, Canberra. Her expertise is in public services, particularly in relation to topics such as governance, policy implementation and stewardship of the fourth industrial revolution technologies. In 2015, Helen was made a Victorian Fellow of the Institute of Public Administration Australia and in 2019 awarded a Fellowship of the Academy of Social Sciences. She's worked with a range of different levels of government and community organisations, as well as with private organisations in Australia, the UK, New Zealand and Europe on a research and consultancy program. And finally, Hayley Henderson is a postdoctoral fellow here at the Crawford School. Her research examines the role of urban policymaking and collaborative governance in addressing complex urban problems. In particular, the focus of her recent work has been on the urban renewal and river basin management in Australia and Argentine cities. We hope that you enjoy today's discussion. So, Helen Sullivan, can we start with you? And we don't normally call our guests by the full names, but we have two Helens with us today, which is a real treat. So we will use your full names or your initials, perhaps. Um, Helen Sullivan, you talk in the introduction of the handbook about the waves of reform sponsored by globalisation and neoliberalism that have reshaped the state often hollowing it out and transferring power and responsibilities. And, and understanding the impacts of these changes is one of the reasons that you put this incredible handbook together. Can you just summarise some of those key impacts on the role of the public servant, on how they see themselves and how they're seen by others? Yeah, thanks, Sharon. Um, the I think the, the genesis for this book was really that we were so aware that there were many, many uh, pressures on public servants. And most of these came one way or another from, you know, new public management, as we tend to call it as a catch-all for everything. And, but while considerable work had been done on public services, uh, you know, the institutions, the systems, there hadn't been that much attention paid to what actually happens to the people who consider themselves or are considered public servants. And so what we were interested to explore was the extent to which questions of identity, who people think they are as public servants, questions of authority, um, you know, how is expertise regarded, to what extent is authority formal, uh, positional or reputational uh, still influential, uh, and uh, what what did the changes mean for the capability of public servants and the challenges that they were facing? And of course, we were incredibly conscious that a great deal of this work remains Anglo-centric. And for us, it was really important to try and understand how these changes, and indeed whether these changes, uh, were impacting globally, uh, and if so, the extent to which particular contexts uh, played a part in diluting the reforms, accentuating the reforms, whatever it was. So whether it's uh, marketization or collaboration or co-production, all of these words and phrases those of us in public administration are, are now very familiar with, what we were interested to understand was to what extent that had uh, affected public servants in different parts of the world uh, and how we might account for that 
in a series of what turned out to be a rather large number of uh, explorations and essays focusing on different aspects of public servants' lives and careers. That's a great spot to move on to asking Haley some questions, particularly about the role that history might play in shaping the values of a particular civil service. What role colonisation has played in shaping the behaviour and values of public servants and the nature of the civil servant in former colonies? Well, thanks for the question. It's a big one, and I will invite Helen and Helen to, to jump in as, as they like. Um, I think from you know the many contributions that we did have to the handbook, um, you know, we did conclude by saying we would like to open in future to further contributions from that uh, large part of the world that often gets called the global south, and uh, where you know the impact of colonisation. Um, is is felt greatly, um, and I think some of the themes that have come out in this in in, in our handbook um, were related to um, the reproduction of, um, of of repression in in some settings, um, and also perhaps you know on the other end of that scale, while it may not be a repressive practice, but there may not be perhaps such an opening up to a more collaborative or participatory uh, approach to governance. There may be more of a, uh, a top-down uh, approach to, to government and to, to, to many of the, the policy settings that were explored in, in the handbook. So I think that's one of the living legacies of, of history and of uh, colonisation. And um, I think that one of the, there's a there is a flip side here and there's something that um, that is explored by some of the authors in that um, some of the reforms that Helen was mentioning uh, now and that we've uh, some of the authors explored in terms of new public management uh, gained less ground in some of these uh, some of these countries and some of these contexts so we're seeing some agencies um, some public authorities that have been less affected in some ways, um, still delivering direct services, wherein uh, perhaps some of the you know the, the global north um, contexts have experienced uh, a kind of deeper uh, reform. This is such a treasure trove, and there are so many chapters and so many issues that that you cover in the handbook. Um, Helen Dickinson, perhaps to, to to draw you in here and to hear a little more about that point both Haley and and Helen Sullivan have raised around moving beyond a focus on countries of the global north or the west or whatever we, term we would like to use. Um, and what did you see about some of the patterns? across civil service traditions in different countries, different regions, and across different political systems. And are we seeing what might be described as a, as a shift towards isomorphism or increasing sameness in the context of globalisation, or are long-standing traditions being maintained? Thanks, Sharon. It's a, it's a great question. Um, and, you know, there's a huge diversity across the, the different chapters within the book. And I guess one of the key things for us is around who public servants are, and they get described differently across different um, systems. So in Australia, you wouldn't be surprised to find that people would say that, you know, 
public servants are people who work in the Australian public service, but aren't necessarily teachers or doctors or other people. They're, they're seen as sitting outside the public services. As Hayley was just talking about, that's not necessarily the case in other systems. Um, and we don't even have to look to kind of the, you know, the global north and, and south to see some of that divide as, as such. Um, uh, Helen and I both have colleagues in, in the UK who take a fairly broad version of what public servants are and see those as people who are delivering services that are funded by public money. So there's this bit of a debate around who public servants are within there and, and their identity and the degree to which they have authority. And that there's some really nice pieces looking at kind of authority of public servants in different systems and, and comparing uh, those. So that's, you know, really fascinating. Some of that actually comes through in one of the, obviously my sections, the best section in the book, which I'm sure <laughs> Haley and, and Helen will say that their sections are as well. But one of the other ones that I really like is edited by Peter Matthews, and it's about the representation of public servants in uh, TV shows and films. And so there's some fantastic um, pieces from different uh, countries that talk about the way that we represent public servants on the screen or in plays and what that tells us about the authority um, of those individuals. I guess the final bit of your question was about the degree to which you've got that sameness kind of happening. And that's where we get into that topic, I think, of hybridity. And of the idea of, you know, when you bring together different systems, there's different potential kind of outcomes for that. So, you know, we might bring in ideas around new public management and they might sit really nicely within um, an organisational context. And so um, they work as they were intended to in other countries. I think that's unlikely because I don't think they've even had the impact in in the global north of, of what we think they would have. And we've seen a lot of the issues that, that come out of that. But you also might have other reforms that completely kind of, you know, they, they blunt them. Or, or they stop them from having an impact. Or one of the things that we have seen is where you bring them together with local um, cultures and contexts, they produce really different and, and and various kind of outcomes. And that's one of the really nice parts about this book is you can see what, you know, to some degree looks like the same sort of reform has a really different impact in different contexts. Hayley, back to you now. To jump from the past to the present, how has technology, and particularly the influence of social media and the 24-7 news cycle, influenced the work of the public servant? Thanks, Angaretta. It's a really important point and obviously one that's picked up um, in detail in in the in the handbook. There's, we have a section on uh, on data and the role of data, and there there is an exploration in uh, a few of the, the chapters um, on social media, and I think one of the the sticking points has been the transition has been quite fast uh, to the use of social media, and the lines between public and private use of social media, and how that's dealt with within the public service, seems to be a fairly large unanswered question. Um, if we're talking about as well sameness uh, between contexts that that we explored throughout the handbook. Um, there are some settings where there are clearer regulations around perhaps the use of social media and then public service-led uh, or, or defined use of social media. And there's also been settings, and I think we can probably all, we're all familiar with even local examples where uh, there have been misuse of social media and the consequences that that, that has. So I definitely think that social media um, has uh, emerged as a theme in, in this uh, handbook and obviously will continue to be an important topic. Um, the 24-hour news cycle, um, that among other issues, including um, relatively short electoral cycles in some contexts and the, the, 
the pressure of responding to this, you know, there's kind of a, a reinforcing relationship there between a, a need to respond to the 24-hour media cycle and also a very short-term political cycle. And so some of the, uh, you know, the issues around that that were explored in the handbook are, you know, who's defining the, the policy agenda um, what is the role for a public servant um, where, you know, definitions are being being made about policy agenda, where, you know, evidence is being drawn from or information is being drawn from a, a lot of other sources that are not necessarily, um, you know, from the public service itself. There's obviously uh, interest groups and, uh, and the media, uh, public opinion playing a really um, strong role there. Helen Sullivan, to, to come back to you, you know, one of the, the fascinating things about this handbook um, is just being able to look across the experiences of so many countries and political systems. And I'm interested to hear what we see around the status of women when we look across those different systems. Do we see greater gender equity, greater opportunity for women with, within the public service um, in different systems. You know, how do those systems make a difference? Um, well, I think the, the, the blunt answer is that um, probably that in different systems uh, are unequal. They're just unequal in different ways. You know, I think that's one of the salutary messages from the book is that uh, where you, you know whatever the the system uh, uh, genesis. Um, they all have inequality, inequity built into them. And, you know, that's manifest sometimes in gender. Um, and, and that was, again, this is where we come to questions of data, you know, actually getting hold of data. I mean, the, the, uh, the first section of the book, which tries to provide, you know, an overview of ver various types um, across um, as far as we can globally, um, you know, that was really hampered by the availability of data. And and so while what it does is is amazing, um, we, you know, we all recognize that there's there's a huge amount still to do and there are many questions that we couldn't answer. But I think that the, the key point is, as I say, that, uh, you know, institutions are established on the basis of a set of principles, philosophies, uh, and Jill Tao's section in the book is, is fantastic on this. And what that does is then um, generate uh, a way of framing both who public servants can be and should be. Um, and that then in turn reproduces um, that, you know, a particular kind of person. So even in, in systems where you have a, you know, a purported mechanism that uh, is, is designed to be uh, gender neutral or, you know, neutral um, across all areas, it, it doesn't work like that because there are inbuilt ways of, of privileging who gets to take exams, for example. And so I think that um, one of the things that we we saw was, was certainly areas where, you know, there, there had been progress. I certainly wouldn't want to suggest that, that there hasn't been, but um, there is still a very, very long way to go. And one of the reasons that matters, of course, is that for as long as public services are not representative or at least close to representative of the communities that they serve, then there's always going to be a dissonance between who public servants think they are and uh, and who they're serving and um, getting access to, you know, the voices, experiences and expertise of, of those other members of the public. Now, there's a big argument there about 
politics and the role of of politicians, which I certainly wouldn't want to exclude. But it's a different point. You know, the more that you have systems that reflect either a particular cadre of the public or a particular community, um, the more you're likely to make decisions that are, uh, you know, uh, that don't take account of and don't even, you know, begin to consider the implications for for other communities. And in, in Australia, you know, we have a fantastic example of that. We have public service systems that are based on, uh, you know, a tradition of uh, democracy and representative bureaucracy that comes from the West. It takes absolutely no account of First Nations uh, principles, histories and legacies. Helen, thank you. There's, there are so many issues in there that, that we want to unpack a little further. Uh, we might just go to a short break right now and we will come back and canvas some of the issues that you raise in this handbook um, in just a moment. So don't go away. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Around the world, democracies are in crisis. Leaders have become followers. Populists offer glib solutions to complex problems, and people search for answers. Block out the noise. Each week on Democracy Sausage, we go deeper to bring you insights from leading scholars, journalists and commentators to help you make sense of the world. I'm Mark Kenny from the Australian National University. Join me at the Democracy Sausage Hot Plate every Monday and Thursday. Listeners, we're back. We've been talking about public servants today and particularly the extraordinary book that's been published recently, The Palgrave Handbook of the Public Servant. And we're fortunate to be joined by three fantastic contributors to this extraordinary book, Helen Sullivan, Helen Dickinson and Hayley Henderson. Helen Sullivan, in one of the chapters that you authored on integrity and ethics, you begin with the statement, people don't trust institutions. That is often because of actual or perceived failures of ethics and integrity. What can be done to protect against such failures or to deal effectively with them when they occur so as to foster better or improved public trust? This is something that I uh, am very, very concerned about and I and thank you for raising it because I think it is the critical issue of our time in terms of public services, wherever you are, whatever system you're in. And this is partly to do with the reforms that have taken place, not just, but, but it is partly as a consequence of reforms that have blurred the boundaries really between public and private, uh, between professional and um, amateur, uh, layperson, between expertise and, and, and non-expertise and have led to a situation where the existing regulatory frameworks that we have or accountability frameworks that we have are either seen as 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 more flexible, more permeable than perhaps they should be um, or are just not regarded at all. Um, and so we have extraordinary situations where politicians will now acknowledge fully that they make decisions um, on the basis of uh, 
how things might play in elections, whether that's commissioning submarines or allocating funding to car parks, whatever it might be. Um, And this is not just an Australian phenomenon. This is something that is happening worldwide. And correspondingly, what the public sees, um, you know, setting aside whether the media is, um, uh, you know, a, a helpful or unhelpful instrument, that's really not the point. The point is what the public sees is, a political class that doesn't seem to uh, be trustworthy and a bureaucracy that doesn't actually seem to be uh, able uh, or indeed necessarily considered uh, responsible for ensuring that integrity exists and is protected and promoted. So what do we do about it? Well, I think there's a there's you know there's some fairly boring things that we need to do about it and um and one is that and covid has given us an opportunity and you know and all the awful things that have happened you know one of the things that that covid did was remind people how reliant they were on public services on the government on the state however you want to call it and again you know that didn't necessarily mean that they had a great experience but the importance of certain uh, fundamental um, elements of our uh, socio-economic political systems came to the fore here and um, I think that that has resulted in um, in some places an increase in trust in both politicians and also public services, not everywhere. Uh, but there's something about public servants demonstrating their competence. That's the first thing. They have to be seen to be capable of, of meeting the challenge at hand, whether that's a crisis or um, the rebuild that we're, that we're all going through at the moment. But they also have to be seen to be, and this is fundamental and more important probably than anything else, is they they have to be ways in which services, public servants, politicians can be held accountable. And those, those mechanisms of accountability have to be clear, they have to be simple, and they have to be effective. There's no point having systems of accountability if there are no consequences for people behaving badly. So I've always been of the view that in order to encourage in, and promote integrity, you have to have systems of accountability. It's important that we have ethical people in, um, in public service, and um, one would hope that most of them are. But the most ethical person needs to be able to operate within a framework of accountability. And so ensuring that we we protect and preserve and recognise the importance of ethical conduct can only, I think, be, um, be done if we also have um, appropriate means of, of ensuring that people are accountable and appropriately accountable. And um, again, one of the things I think we risk seeing in some places is public servants wrongly being held accountable for things that are actually, um, you know, questions of, of politics and political conduct. And that, and that, if I was, you know, in a public service at the moment, that I think is one of the, the worries is that you will be scapegoated because you are, uh, politicians don't appear to resign for any reason at all anymore, although, um, uh, of course, uh, the New South Wales Premier uh, recently did. So that's a that's a point in in, in the favour of integrity. But um, I think the public doesn't necessarily see uh, that people, uh, politicians hold themselves to the, the standards that they should. And um, that then has a, a, a sort of a, a, a spillover effect, if you like, on public servants. So I think for the whole system, we need focus on integrity and me- effective mechanisms of accountability. And that way, um, we will uh, both have better 
public service, but we'll also start to rebuild trusted institutions. Helen Dickinson, can I bring you in here? Um, Helen raised, you know, the issue of accountability and the importance of public servants being accountable. But public servants also have the challenges of negotiating issues of integrity and ethics in contexts where their political leaders may be under investigation for unethical or corrupt behaviour. Helen, I'm just interested in, in hearing your thoughts on what role in a country like Australia, for example, independent commissions against corruption play, um, both for public servants but also for political leaders? Oh, it's a controversial one, isn't it? So, a good question. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm of the view, like Helen, that they're a really crucial kind of um, mechanism in place, not just because of the work that they do um, and and have the ability to go about and investigate where we might sense that there's impropriety. Also, having them is a really important symbolic indicator that you know um, those issues are important to us. And I think in Australia, it's it's fairly stark, isn't it, that we have these that sit at, at kind of um, the level of, of states, and yet at federal level, we don't have such a, an institution that does some of that work so yeah look I think they're a really important mechanism that that we should widely be embracing although you know it's really important obviously that we think about you know where we set the boundaries and and how they go about doing that work and I think um it was implicit in, in Helen's previous kind of response about particularly how we set up the boundaries between what's the the political drivers around the situation and where public servants um operate I mean one of the kind of sad things that we've seen a lot of commentary around recently is about this idea that the Australian Public Service has, has lost capability and we've seen this this waning of, of that and there's a, a number of reasons that are offered for that around you know, increasing use of um, uh, consultants, uh, uh, management consultants across a, a wide array of, of, of areas. I think the kind of the political movement into that sphere and politicians moving to make appointments has, has probably constrained some of that as well. Because I think on an individual basis, there's an awful lot of capability in the public service, but some of how we've moved to structure some of that operation um, sometimes restricts the ability for that to be used. So it's not that it doesn't exist, it's just that um, how we set up our systems inhibits some of that. So it would be good to see thoughts around kind of those sorts of commissions thinking about that and how they work to facilitate some of, of that greater capability. It's so important and so timely to be talking about integrity, I think, at the moment. Hayley, at a local level, actor interests can interfere with the policy decision-making and public servants' concept of integrity. And you write about this in the context of local government in Argentina. How can interests and the corrupt practices that are sometimes associated with them be managed? A great question, and I think building on what Helen and Helen have have just uh, spoken about, it's probably important to point out that in a context like Argentina and similar to it in other uh, Latin American, at least, uh, countries, some that were explored in, in, in the handbook, like uh, Colombia, there aren't uh, integrity commissions like the ones that we're talking about set up. And um, there are other big actors here that uh, play on and push on uh, local actors and play out in local interests. And, and they are the uh, loaning, the, the banks, the large multilateral financing banks, like the World Bank, the Inter-American Development Bank. And so many of these are 
agenda setting, if you like, at the macro level. So the space within which local actors, uh, going back to your question, Anna Greta, uh, have to, to perhaps explore and define the, the, the direction is, is somewhat contingent on uh, where the funding's coming from. And that's an international phenomenon rather than uh, perhaps being, you know, there being a, a discussion about where the funds are coming from, from a national or, or, or a provincial level. I just wanted to make that point first because I think it's it's important in understanding those those contexts. Going to your um, the, the issue around corruption and the definition of uh, local interests and, and how those are managed. One of the other really important phenomena is the the underfunding the, the, of the local level, and that's something that we you know the kind of permanent austerity, if you like, that's been termed that we we have experienced in many municipal level. Uh, authorities here in Australia, but it is deeper, much deeper in Argentina and in some of the other Latin American contexts. Um, and so what that means is that the public servant in that office um, is not, it is more uh, susceptible, if you like, to uh, external influence. Um, and I'm, when I talk about public servants, I can, I'm referring to the police, as I am referring to an urban planning uh, statutory officer deciding which application to process and approve as we were that's one of the ones that we reported on in, 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 that, in that chapter um, so that's a big problem um, how it's managed I think is the same point that Helen uh, initiated this discussion with is about having systems in place to to support um, their, their practice um, and it's also about the kind of coalitions that have been built in the, in the research that we've done between municipalities that are smaller and underfunded and perhaps making up part of a larger urban area um, that are able to set common agendas and thereby negotiate with external uh, actors and developers and uh, large uh, um, engineering firms and uh, and to have a, a stronger presence and a, and a stronger uh, role in agenda setting there. There are just so many issues that you, you've raised there that I think are worthy of, of much more exploration than, than we've got time for today. But certainly the handbook does that in drawing out so many of these complex issues at the local, at the national and at the international level. Um, Ellen Dickinson, we, we've talked about the past and some of the current challenges for public servants. And the handbook, as I said, covers so much more in great richness. But as we start to bring this discussion to a close, what do you think the future looks like for the public servant? It's a, it's a big question, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Um, well, I think, you know, the thing that happened halfway through the 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 editing of the handbook that we've touched on a few times is around um, COVID. And I think... The, the pandemic will have an, an influence on shaping what happens next. I mean, we know it's, it's exposed um, a number of the the fault lines and the issues with public services in our societies that have existed for, for some time, and it really has um, illuminated a, a number of those. And people have started to talk about those in a way that we haven't previously, as we've talked about as well, the, the kind of level of trust in governments and, and seeing the need for kind of big government um or, or, you know, government being appropriately resourced has, has kind of made that case really clear as well. So I think they're really important things that I hope we see being picked up as well. The other thing we've not talked about a huge amount today that um, 
is generally not very good in the public admin, public management literature, is around the issue of, of technology. Um, and certainly in the, the care space where I do a lot of research, you know, people have been talking for, for a while about the need for new sorts of technologies like robotics and, and things like that in those spaces. Um, and the pandemic, I think, has made that case even clearer in the context where kind of humans, um, in a sense, are, are the problem in those systems. So I think we've seen like robotics and those sorts of technologies is the only area that's seen a huge kind of um, investment in, in that where other areas have slowed down over the pandemic. So I'm hoping that going forward, we'll see more careful thought around technology and we'll see more careful treatment of um, um, of the, the, the many inequities that sit across our societies that are no longer kind of acceptable. Um, and we've given um, public servants a bit more trust and a bit more capability and resourcing to go ahead and, and, and do some of those things. Of course, whether whether we'll see that happen um, as, as, as life starts to get slightly back, back to normal, we'll, we'll have to wait to see. But they're my hopes for it. Uh, I think looking into the future is such a fantastically important part of this. And there are so many elements of today's discussion that we could very happily continue. We do like to finish these conversations, however, by asking you all one question. Um, and we'd particularly like you to, to reflect on the work that you've done in mapping the role, contribution and the challenges of the public servant globally. What's the most important message we should take away? And we'll ask each one of you to, to respond to that, your favourite message. Helen Dickinson, can we start with you? My one message around this, I, mean, I think... You know, as we say in the conclusion to the handbook, you know, the the public the the rumours of the public servant being dead are not true. The public servant is very much alive. We we need to think about some kind of rescoping, but public servants do an important, uh, an incredibly important job within our societies. And so, what's important is we think through how we allow them to do that role. Haley, your one piece of policy advice. Uh, favorite message, I think important message. I agree with Helen, but I do think it's important for us to highlight those um, cracks and uh, gaps where uh, that are persisting, particularly um, in the global south, where the public service has not reached and is not addressing some of the basic needs of uh, many of the world's inhabitants. And I think that greater attention needs to be um, uh, focused on, on, on those needs, particularly if uh, as a collective public service in going forward in the future, we are to tackle important issues like uh, climate change. Um, first, we need to make sure that uh, basic sanitation, health, access to, 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 to democratic practices, all of these things are, are also in place. And the last word today to Helen Sullivan. Well, um, my, most, my first thought uh, on completing the book was I'm never doing this again. Um, and that would be uh, my message to anybody who uh, wants to take on one of these uh, tasks is that uh, they are huge. They get bigger even when you think that they can't. And um, uh, it's only because I had such amazing colleagues in Helen and Haley that um, <laughs> the thing ever got produced. So there's that. But but I think I think the other thing that we we do in the book that is so important and remains. Under under addressed in public administration uh, scholarship is we remind people that of the importance of understanding tradition, context, 
and the experience of countries and systems that are outside of the UK, Anglo, US, however you want to describe it, uh, domination of the, the discipline, which persists, you know, despite um, efforts of decolonializing curricula, despite efforts of, um, you know, trying to promote questions and perspectives that, that come from the global south or the east or however you want to describe it, public administration remains um, a, a, a discipline and, a, and an area of study that is is just too dominated by particular lines of thought that work in particular parts of the world, but are, and are promoted um, elsewhere, but rarely reflect um, the, the the experience of uh, of most countries, and in some cases, as Haley's pointed out, can just be damaging. Um, and in other cases, as, as Helen's indicated, you know, when we're thinking about the developments in in robotics and and and, and so on, um, you know, those are things that are happening in 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 countries um, that are, are not necessarily associated with mainstream public administration. So I think you know, it, both by by thinking more expansively, um, then I think we we both get a better understanding of what the discipline of public administration can look like. But we also get a much better understanding of of um, what works to use that um, dreadful phrase. Helen Sullivan, Helen Dickinson and Hayley Henderson, thank you so much for this conversation. The handbook is an incredible piece of work and an important piece of work. There is much more we could have talked about, but thank you so much for sharing your insights today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Helen, Haley, and Helen. What an extraordinary conversation. I'm sure our listeners will have enjoyed this overview of the Polgrave Handbook of the Public Servant, and I really hope we'll get some great feedback about today's discussion. Listeners, we love hearing from you. You can reach out to us on Twitter at APPS Policy Forum, or, pol- or you can email us directly at podcast at policyforum.net. We have a Facebook group. You can type Policy Forum Pod into the search bar on Facebook and join in. And we would love you to both subscribe to our podcast and to leave us a review on whatever platform you pod with. We do read them and we take them seriously. Now, listeners, as you know, we've been working a lot on the issues around climate change with a view to the COP26 negotiations that are ongoing at the moment in Glasgow. We've had some extraordinary episodes, and I really hope that people have had a chance to listen to uh, our colleagues talking about climate change in the Pacific Islands and climate change and the implications for heat, particularly in Australia, and of course, the global impact of climate change and the, the potential for change from our negotiations. In the weeks ahead, we will continue our conversations around climate change policy. And next week, we will be talking about different ways that we might cut emissions. And so we'll be back with a regular episode next week. Bye-bye from me, Anna Greta Hunter. See you soon. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 